Good day to our insightful listeners and welcome to The Backstory by Commercial Observer. In today's double header, we're dissecting a real estate saga that's captured the industry's attention, the rise and fall of WeWork. But our story doesn't end there. In the later half of today's show, we're rolling out the red carpet for the latest release of Owner's Magazine. This issue promises to be a beacon for real estate enthusiasts and professionals alike. So stay tuned as we navigate through the turmoil of a co-working titan and unveil the celebration of editorial excellence. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Backstory. I'm Max Gross. I'm uh, Nicholas Rizzi. Tom Acatelli. Uh, and we have a lot to discuss today. It is a very, very busy day. We are talking, um, I guess, the afternoon after uh, we work filed for bankruptcy. Um, that is going to be our the the main focal point of discussion for the first half of this conversation. But it's also the day that our owners magazine uh, hit hit shelves. If uh, I don't know, are the shelves still anymore? I'm not sure, but uh, it hit our readers. Um, so we will spend the second half uh, talking about that. Um, but, um, I think we have to start with WeWork because this is kind of a big deal. Um, so Nick, you wrote it up last night, right? So, um, yes, I don't know. What's your initial impressions, man? Well, I mean, yeah, I think kind of a big deal might be an understatement <laughs> because underplaying, you know, it. I'm underplaying it. That's all. Um, you know, as I've heard in conversation, sort of anybody who's been paying attention, the news isn't a surprise. But, right. um, you know, the company basically just had a money burdening business model for years where they would just spend a lot of money to get into a to lease a space, spend money to, you know, design it to um, hold, you know, several different types of companies and workers and then, you know, hope they come and pay them a fee to rent the space. And, you know, for a while that worked um kind of and then what really happened was in the last quarter they had a decrease in membership and you know it was only a one percent decrease but when you're a company that's just sort of so dependent on your members and you have 13 billion dollars in lease obligations to sort of look at you know any sort of slip in that number is um as they said put substantial doubt on the business and you know they came up with a plan they down sort of tried to downplay the substantial doubt um, disclosure, but you know, uh, last night it finally it happened, and they filed for bankruptcy. Now, when you say that their model worked, sort of, they never made any money. Did they? Like, no. Has there ever been a a positive cash flow quarter or anything like that? I don't think so. Um, you know, before they were public, maybe, but I highly doubt it. I've talked to people who worked there, and they said no. But yeah, so they've never really made money um you know a lot of people say the co-working business model like that just simply doesn't work the way to do it would be sort of partner with landlords they shoulder some of the costs and you know you get some of the upshot but just sort of taking on the lease entirely for one company and then leasing it out to somebody else you know essentially acting as a middleman isn't the best business model especially in this market Mm -hmm. but one of the things that they had done for a really long time, which um, a lot of you know New York real estate people really appreciated, was that they were the ones who were willing to say, "Okay, 
I'm going to take the lease at the B or the C office building. I'm going to take the lease at the less desirable office building, you know, build it out to my specifications. Um, and they did take a tremendous amount of uh, real estate off the market. And um, I shudder to think what becomes of the places where they're currently um, supposedly on the lease. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was looking I'm, at the list of, oh, sorry, Nick, but I was looking at the list of locations that where they're trying to abandon space, and these are markets that don't need the headache. They include San Francisco, Boston, other areas of California, and especially New York City, where something like 40 leases could, they're trying to get rid of, WeWork is trying to get rid of 40 leases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know that's a good point. They they're right now saying we're gonna get rid of um, you know forty leases in New York, but they've also just been doing that for a while. I think you know in the already in the fourth quarter, as of like a couple you know a few weeks ago before the news, they dropped about uh, three hundred thousand square feet of space in Manhattan. So you know they've been pumping space back on the market little by little, but now it just sort of seems like the floodgates are opened. And you know, like both you and Tom said, these aren't markets that really could use the headaches right now you know uh leasing is tough sort of everywhere and the last thing the market wants is probably b and c space that not a lot of people are going to want to rent coming back Mm -hmm. onto the market Mm. now um mark hallam one of our reporters had done a um really uh interesting piece just before this all started i mean i remember on halloween i guess it was bloomberg uh floated the idea that uh a uh uh, a bankruptcy was imminent. That this was uh, probably going to be this week, and and they were right. Um, and and you know we've been doing like a number of follow up pieces to that since then. But Mark's piece came a couple of weeks before that, maybe one week before that, um, where he was just talking about like you know what kind of rupture this would be to uh, the office market and um, how much debt are tied in. I mean, I feel like these kinds of the, the amounts of money that are tied up in, in, in these buildings, like, uh, that, that, that have CMBS obligations, et cetera, et cetera, um, could really sink a lot of these buildings for owners. Yeah. And we've seen that play out before, um, you know, buildings that have had WeWork as like their main or one of their main tenants have, you know, once WeWork has left, have seen their valuations drop, have seen, you know, the loans go to special servicing. So it's not, you know, it's not crazy to think that this is going to keep happening. Like <clears throat> some of these buildings are in trouble beforehand. They're all in on WeWork. I think, you know, Tony, Tony Malkin from ESRT put it pretty bluntly that there's going to be a lot of heads in the windshield now. Going and through the windshield, I, yes. Go, yeah. And so, uh, you know, I'm not sure if he's wrong on that. But mm. I do think uh, one might, I think one does not blame some of these property owners for leasing to WeWork for so long. I mean, if you look at the arc of this thing, it was only about four or five years ago that they were touted as changing the world. They, they <laughs> had, a, you know, spinoffs like We Live. They had that school. Uh, they, you know, and, and of course, they, they put it all under an umbrella called we in general and touted this sort of model of property sharing and, and, and collectivism and all that. And didn't they try to, like, copyright the word we so that nothing could be used? For, the we or something? Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. so, I mean, for a long time, it was, you know, it was like, you know, Silicon Valley, you know, pixie dust. Yeah. Sprinkled on it. 
making it palatable and making it seem like a really good going concern. And it worked for, for a number of years under Adam Newman and even for a little bit afterwards. Um, I, I do think if the pandemic had not come along when it did, you know, they were having trouble before the, before March of 2020, but had it not come along when it did, they, they might've been able to continue at least for a couple of more years. Well, can I say two things to that? Um, one, I will say um, in, I, I was actually talking about it with somebody at lunch today where um, we were talking about, we work and, and you know, I, I do think before the pandemic, when the pandemic hit, I should say, um, I was like, well, I guess WeWork is in a lot of trouble. And somebody, I think at WeWork or somebody I was talking to about it was like, well, the theory of the case is actually no, uh, a pandemic would actually help a WeWork um, rather than getting locked into these like, you know, 15 year leases or 10 year leases with like, you know, huge price per square foot. Um, WeWork was the alternative. This was the, you know, um, way to do it cheaply, to, to, to be flexible and all the things that they had sort of been touting at the beginning. Um, and, you know, it wasn't a crazy theory of the case. Right. Um, you know, they, they obviously were way overextended and, and, and their business models made no sense and all these other things. But, um, that particular theory, if it had been like competently executed might've worked. Right. Um, the, the, the other thing that I will say, and I, I have to disagree with this. I don't believe it was, um, necessarily, uh, COVID. I do believe it was maybe a combination of their initial public offering, um, in late 2019, which just like tore the lid off of a lot of things that just people didn't know. Like there were just a lot of, there was just a lot of data that people didn't know about, like, you know, what their like cash inflow and outflow was. And also Elliot Brown, uh, observer alum, Elliot Brown at the wall street journal writing about Adam Newman taking cereal boxes full of marijuana onto plane and having mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, having, who was it performing at the, uh, we work at Office run DMC. Party. Yeah, run, run DMC. DMC right yeah. after he laid off a bunch of people. Yep. I mean, it definitely threw a complete start into everybody who had been very invested in and trusted this guy a lot. Um and uh it it really showed that this was not being run like a business. And that was, I think, very scary for a lot of people. And then yeah, just from, the fact that, like, the, the forty-seven billion dollar valuations. I mean, it was insanity. It was, it was true insanity. But anyway, yes, I'll, Nick, you want to say something? Yeah, but from people I've talked to who have worked there and worked under Adam, you know, they've, they all have, you know, he's a visionary. He's obviously can get fundraised, but then they'll also say, you know, keeping it like making smart business decisions, not overextending yourself, not overpaying for stuff that you don't actually need is, you know, wasn't one of his strong suits. And I think, <laughs> you know, Sandeep Mithrani, who took over for Adam, you know, is a legend in this industry. He got GGP out of one of the worst real estate bankruptcies in history. If anybody could have done it, it would have been him. But I guess the hole was too big from before or then COVID didn't really help much at all, even if it was like, you know, poised to once people started coming back to sort of capture that demand, but it had to be able to sustain before it captured that demand. And they had a couple of like 
you know, strong quarters and their things were moving, but you know, the wheels just recently started to fall off again. They, they overextended themselves at the worst possible time. They could not have known yeah. a, a pandemic was coming, but. Well, this is my question for you. Do you think, so when they brought in Sandeep Mathrani and obviously Mathrani is, as Nick says, very legendary in doing it like GGP, like that turnaround was very, very difficult. They were, they were, they were many billions of dollars in debt. Um, and he made it like, you know, uh, he brought them to into like, you know, financial health. And I think that they were purchased by Brookfield eventually. Um, so, you know, a guy who who really knew what he was doing. But I would I would pose this question for you. Like when the pandemic hit, see, that's the thing. I don't think the pandemic was the reason that they went bankrupt, but I think it was the reason that they couldn't save themselves. Like that by that point, like I don't think that there could have been a replay after the pandemic where they could undo some of the decisions that they had made. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you know, they started to try to do it. They were selling off like, you know, towards the end of Adam Neiman's reign, he was just buying businesses left and right. Um, yeah. You know, Meetup was one of the ones, you know, that that kind of didn't super make sense. Like it was a, it's a website to like, you know, start a chess club. I don't know. <laughs> Why well, we were needs to be in that too. business? Yeah, Newman was also he also owned some of the properties in which we work, lease space. Yes, he did without telling people. So <laughs> yes, he did. And licensed license the <laughs> we name. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, people did find out about that, and I don't think right. that the uh, backlash was much to his uh, much to his good fortune. But yeah, so um, I mean, even if if you're if you have somebody as good as Mithrani, but you've had to clean up the mess, you know, like we had the I remember when Mithrani came in, we had that very great cover of him literally cleaning up the bongs and trash right. out of Newman's office. But when you have to clean something like that up, like it's really just a losing battle. Totally, totally, totally. So, all right. This is a company. I don't know how much it's worth now. You know, maybe, you know, Nick, I, I but um, it's got like, you know, how many leases still, you know, millions of square feet of obligations. Obviously, they'll be able to wriggle out of some of them. But um, what happens now to the company? I mean, we, we got a message from them last night when when our story posted saying we are still open. You know that, you know, this is a bankruptcy. That doesn't mean we're out of business or anything. Um, what do you think happens now? Um, well, yeah, they were very clear that they're. This is going to, you know, let them keep going. This bankruptcy is to help shore up their balance sheets. They're going to continue to be operational. You know, if that's true, not nobody can say. You know, analysts I've talked to before, you know, aren't really sure about the fate, but they think the smart idea would be to sort of be acquired by a real real estate firm, sort of similar to the Newark Notel deal, like right. an owner or you know a big brokerage comes in, they sort of pick up WeWork for pennies on the dollar and then sort of use that as their brand of co-working. I also a wrench in the machine. I'm pretty sure there's been reports that Adam Newman would like to buy WeWork back oh, or at least fantastic. get back in there. <laughs> so. That'd be fantastic for us. I mean, the plot twist, but I, I do wonder, <laughs> you know, one of the things that WeWork did, one of the, you know, the, the sort of after effects of its initial success and its coverage was that it spawned 
imitators, including in-house co-working brands at different brokerages and, and ownership groups. So I wonder if they, if you know, Nick, Nick raises a very good point that if one of them just buys WeWork and rebrands the whole thing or, or brings it under its own umbrella. No, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and look, you know, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Nick. Yeah, for better or worse, the WeWork name is sort of, it has a lot to it. Like, you know, if you talk to some people and they say they go into co-work and they're saying they're going to WeWork, even if it's not a WeWork, it just became that sort of like Band-Aid brand. So, you know, there's obviously a lot of uh, drama, to say the least, a lot of Apple TV TV shows about it, but there's still, you know, some cachet in that name for people. Well, definitely. And this is the other thing that I think that the other question that occurs to me is um, with the biggest name in co-working and, you know, still by far the biggest tenant in co-working going out of business, it does leave room. I mean, like, you know, WeWork was obviously um, very, very flawed, but it did answer some need. There is a need for uh, co-working in the marketplace. Um, And it does seem that now that this big giant is off the field, at least, you know, or or whose presence on the field is very questionable, that there will be people who will want to take over and um, fill in those gaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, yeah I mean, IWG. Out, so. Yeah, and IWG has been, you know, which was co-working before we work was existent, is sort of making a push to sort of open more locations and, you know, show that they're like, hey, we're still operational and we're healthy and not run by a maniac. So, Nick, that's kind of a subset of Flex now is are the companies that say we've been in this a while and we we bring you the product without the drama. Uh-huh. Product think, without think, the drama. I would think users would appreciate that. So, mm. uh, do you either of you have you you mentioned IWG? Um, do you either of you have like you know a, a person who you think is or a company rather who you think is going to uh, step up? That's a very good question. I wonder though that you would have to deal with the leases themselves and all the problems that WeWork leaves behind in its wake. But what if it were a company completely outside of commercial real estate or or largely outside of it? What like uh? An investor or something like that just coming know, in? Like a, a equity firm. A equity firm. Institutional manager. Mm. Well, there is more drama to come. So um, we at Commercial Observer will be following this story very carefully. Um, now, we, there is another big story that we have to discuss, or not story, but big issue that we have to discuss, which is our owner's magazine, which got published today. Um, which we sent to the plant two weeks ago today um, in a tooth and nail till 10 p.m. <laughs> yelling at each other, where's the cover? Kind of, uh, it reminded me of my old days at uh, at, at the New York Post. Um, so that came out today. Tom, what were your initial impressions? Well, I, I had two sort of meta impressions for based on the surveys we did with very, with dozens of owners in New York City. Mm-hmm. One was, you know, last couple of years, there's been kind of this, um, I don't want to say wishful thinking, but toward wishful thinking that things would return to some sort of normalcy if you gave it enough time, right? You would get back to late 2019 somehow. 
I th- I got the impression now that a realization has set in that things have changed permanently in many cases. And it wasn't just, you know, a hunch on the part of these owners, but a lot of them could rattle off statistics and trends very quickly about the changes themselves and the adjustments that they have made in some cases personally, but also for their companies. So I thought that was interesting. Like this is, you know, 2023 marks the year that the page is turned. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily, okay, this brings me to my second point that I, I sort of, the overarching thing I picked up. It doesn't necessarily mean it's turned for the worse, right? Mm-hmm. There was a lot of confidence in the near term. Some confidence in the long term, right? And, but my point is that anybody can be confident in the long term. So, you know, you're too off, a long time off, and you just sort of, you, um, you know, you, you magically think it'll all work out. And it seems so distant that you know the decision does not have to be made until so far down the road. Um, the confidence that was expressed in the near term for 2024 through 2026, say, uh, was something else. I mean, people have plans for getting around and dealing with directly the new normal. And so mm-hmm. that, those are the two, two big things I took away from the survey. Um, from our own features, you know, we, we have features accompanying the package. There was, you know, a great one by uh, Abigail Nearing on, you know, the new owners you see in New York now, new mm-hmm. commercial owners, you know, private equity, family offices, including, you know, James Dyson, which I thought mm. was really great because I, I have one of his top of the line vacuum cleaners. <laughs> we, have, we have a cat. So we have like the uh, personal endorsement from Tom. Yeah, the pedometer, whatever it is, um, <laughs> super duper. Um, uh, Aaron Short, uh, he had a great piece on who owners are backing in 2024 in the presidential election. I won't say it. You'll have to go read the coverage. Um, might be counterintuitive to what to whom to whom you think. And I, so I just you know, but the two overarching points really stuck with me. Um, yeah, you know, I think this was like kind of a definitive version of the annual package. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's funny when we were talking, when we were crafting the questions, we, we really did want to like, you know, give people like, you know, a, uh, give us specifics about what is going to be for the next two years, for the next five years, for the next 10 years. And, uh, you're right. I mean, like, you know, uh, what, what I think you said about that was, was spot on. I was a little disappointed that, <laughs> that, that we didn't get a few more specifics about like two-year plans or five-year plans. We got some, we did get some, um, you know, it's funny. Um, there, I, for the last at least year, I've been sitting around like meeting with brokers, meeting with owners, meeting with like, you know, real estate people. And they've been saying there's so much dry powder on like, you know, there's so much like, you know, money sitting on the sidelines. And this is like, you know, they say this and say this and say this and say this. Um, So, you know, now prices are falling, you know, they are falling and they're falling uh, pretty quick. Um, I do think that specifics are going to be um, very apparent in 2024. Like, I don't think that, you know, uh, we were, I was a little disappointed that we didn't get anything now. Obviously they're not going to tell us plans that they, you know, that they can't, but um, 
you know, just from some of my conversations with people, it's like, you know, I've been saying, I, I keep asking, you know, when is everybody going to, you know, actually move? When is the movement moment? And I do think that it is going to be next year, just based on a lot of the conversations that I've had. Over right, this. right. Then the realization, though, that the, the marketing can, it's set in that the marketing conditions are what they are and will be going forward. Right. That's well, and I think that comes to what you were saying, Tom, about like, you know, coming to terms with, with reality. Like, right. you know, it's not, you know, you're not going to get what you would have gotten in 2018 for your office mm -hmm. building. It's just not, it's just not in the cards. It's not going to happen. And certain classes, certain asset classes are just not going to be what they were, at least for a long time. And that certain ones are, are, are being picked up on more. Right, um, right, right, right. So other surprises, um, I, I, you know, and that's actually one of the things I will say about Abby's story, which I, I thought was, you know, really, really excellent story. Um, but I do think that there are going to be a lot more newbies to the marketplace in the next year as well. There are going to be some faces that we don't know about um, and some people from overseas, from Asia. I've been hearing about a lot about stuff in Japan. I assume the Middle East will have some people. Uh, South Korea will have some people uh, new to the market. So um, that story, I... I I, I think that we can build on in uh, coming months because I think yeah. there's going to be a lot of new people. Yeah. And people from elsewhere in the United States too, who normally wouldn't touch yeah. New York city. Um, I, I, you know, speaking of newcomers, but not necessarily in a positive way, Celia Young has a feature in the owner's uh, magazine package about the turnover in commercial real estate, which I thought was yeah. just an excellent piece. I mean, we've got some really frank and candid takes from people on the record about what's going on at some companies, you know, with layoffs, but also with just so how, how so ridiculously hard it's gotten for younger people to break into the field. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we had, we had a very, you know, top investment sales broker say, you know, I don't know how they do it unless they have independent means and a lot of independent means to do it. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was um, very happy in our lightning round that a lot of people identified with Logan Roy on succession. Um, a lot of the owners saw themselves in that. I thought that was very honest. Um, I was very happy. I was very surprised also by the level of honesty in the political story that Aaron wrote. Um, I, I, you know, usually um, it's, you know, don't talk about religion or politics, but um, that was one that um, we were willing to get. To, we were, we got it out of some people, which was which was nice to say. Um, I was really surprised that nobody liked um, the new twenty nine dollar hot dog at Misha's, which I had once, and I thought it was freaking delicious. I mean, uh, you'd think that this crowd would be tailor-made for that kind of thing. And uh, no, everybody likes Nathan's, which I guess is good that, you know, they're staying in touch with their Coney Island roots, but I don't know. Sure. Sure. And speaking of uh, Taylor, I was surprised at how many owners like Taylor Swift. So. Taylor Swift is, uh, okay. appeals to a lot of people. Yes. Uh, I, I was, uh, I, I was, as per, somebody who's personally a little bit more of a Beyonce than Taylor Swift mm -hmm. fan, sure. I don't think I could name a single Taylor Swift song, um, you know, I, I'm sure I've heard them before, but I do know some some Beyonce songs. I would have gone with Beyonce. I was pleased that it was. Well, I won't tell you what the final um, score was between uh, 
Taylor and Beyonce, you're just going to have to get a copy of the magazine. Um, anything else about Owner's Magazine, Tom or Nick? Well, you know, I think it's um, interesting to note, like you mentioned before, the two-week lag time from when we sent it out to the printer and when it got published and, you know, news is never on a tight schedule like that. Um, you know, one of the owners that we had in the issue, Marty Berger from Silverstein, uh, was replaced by uh, Larry Silverstein's daughter. Uh, yeah. No, that is true. Um, those who do get the print issue will see um, Marty Berger's uh, Q&A. Um, you know, and to just to bring it back to what we were talking about at the beginning um, with WeWork, um, I don't know. There, there are a lot of, like, you know, things coming due come like, you know, I don't know how to, how to put it exactly, but like a lot of final decisions are being made that had not yeah. been uh, out there before, or that you hadn't been quite expecting. I mean, like, you know, a week before this, and I think we did uh, a big story about SL green and Andrew Mathias leaving there. Um, you know, Marty leaving um, Silverstein, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of drama. A lot of turnover, yes. Yes. All right. Well, on that note, um, I think we can break. Um, I'm uh, Max Gross, Editor-in-Chief at Commercial Observer, here with Tom Accatelli, Deputy Editor, uh, Nick Rizzi, our uh, web editor. Tom, Nick, thank you guys both for being here. Cheers. Thanks. And that wraps up another episode of The Backstory. We've traveled from the dizzying heights of WeWork's ambition to the sobering reality of its bankruptcy. Then we turned the page to herald the fresh release of our 2023 Owner's Magazine, a publication that continues to capture the pulse of the real estate world. Thank you, Max, Nicholas, and Tom for your astute observations, and thank you to our audience for joining us on this deep dive. Remember to check out the Owner's Magazine at commercialobserver.com. Until next time, this has been The Backstory.